Looks like last week, want to throw a big shout out to OverTheCap.com and Jason Fitzgerald. I love your website. All of these numbers are from OverTheCap.com. Again, although I may have done some calculations to to reflect um, like effective uh, values or APYs, like all of the numbers and data comes from your guys' site. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Max Dean is Football, and I am Max Dean, a.k.a. the most tired dad on YouTube. Today, we're going to take another look at positional value, uh, which is going to be dictated by positional markets, um, availability in free agency, and draft position for those players. This is part two. So uh, last week, I did part one, which was based on the 2021 marketplace, and this week, I'm doing 2022. Uh, and basically, we're going to be looking at what has changed between then and now. Now, we don't really truly have the full uh, picture of 2022 because there will be further extensions uh, as the offseason progresses, even a couple in the regular season. But um, this is at least post-free agency, and we've also already seen a number of extensions come up. And I will comment on a couple that I think are coming and, and, and more or less predict what I think that they're going to look like. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean, and let's jump right into it. Um, we're only a couple of way days away from the draft, and so, you know, before I do the final mock draft, um, I want to get a good grasp on this. That way I can comment on it as I go through pick by pick. Now, um, you know, I'm not sure how clear I, I, I made it last week, but what I'm looking at here, surprisingly few teams actually use, and it, not necessarily what I'm doing, like my exact numbers, my exact analysis, but just the idea in general. I mean, when we look at the number of uh, tight ends taken in the first round, of centers taken in the first round, they are less, obviously, but... They they still happen on a relatively frequent basis, you know. Linebackers in the first round, we still get enough of them to make it really obvious that teams are not using this as a, a template for their their team building process. Now, some are more than others. Um, I think there are probably a couple who really fully are, and I can talk about them at the end, at least you know those that I think are um let's jump right into it so i'm going to go through basically all the same statistics and, and metrics as last week but with the 2021 uh, or 2022 frame all right here we go so here we have the new market caps let's change that to what it should be sorry about that Very professional, I know. Okay, um, the new market caps have been established for some of these positions. Um, quarterback has taken uh, a jump up with Aaron Rodgers. Um, wide receiver has taken a jump up with uh, Tyreek Hill. Uh, corner has taken a very minor step up with Denzel Ward. Only um, 0.1 million more on annual average. And the majority of the rest are the same. Guard 
has jumped up by half a million uh, per year, and center has gone up by half a million per year. Um, but that's it. Everyone else is the same at the top of the market. Top five average has changed significantly for some, though, as well. Uh, if we're looking at quarterback, now we've had a number of guys sign. We've had uh, Derek Carr break 40 million. We've had Matthew Stafford break 40 million. Um, the Deshaun Watson deal brought the average up, and obviously Aaron Rodgers at the top. So we're now at 45.045 million for the average of the top five. Um, Edge, I think, has come up ever so slightly because we got that Max Crosby contract at 23.5, which ties him with Khalil Mack. Um, and then some of the guys uh, at 6 through 10 have gone down a little bit, but um, wide receiver is the big one. Wide receiver is the one that's jumped up significantly. Um, and I will definitely talk about the wide receiver market um in terms of some of the, the numbers in another video, um, some of the specific contracts and, and some of the negotiations uh, leverages that were involved in, in, in those and why they got to where they are and why they look different from what they really are on face value. But just, just right off breaks, the main one that we've seen that's actually jumped up significantly in terms of where it ranked in a positional value or as a premier position is wide receiver. So it's pretty clear that the league is prioritizing these playmakers. Um, and we're going to see, we're going to continue to look at where uh, those guys can, can be found because obviously it's a very important position. Um, jumping along into six through 10, Wide receiver is now the second most valued in 6 through 10 behind quarterback, even over the edge rusher market, which is something I find very interesting. And I also don't think that that's going to change as we go through the rest of the offseason. Um, I don't know if it will overtake edge at the top. Uh, in fact, I, I tend to think that it won't. Um, but it looks like it's a lot deeper in terms of the guys who are getting paid. And again, I talked a little bit about why I think that is last week. Um, but we'll talk about it more again today. Um, and then the others, a notable drop is right tackle. So right tackle went from uh, above linebacker in terms of the top five average to now all the way in dead last, even behind center for six through 10. So there is a clear disparity in that as well. So again, we'll comment on that a little bit more as, as we continue through. Um, most of the rest are relatively the same as, as where they are for one through five. If, uh, oh, and again, if you are listening to this exclusively, I do have the graphics up on YouTube. So it probably will be beneficial for you to, to, to look at some of them, but uh, as always, I will do my best to talk you through this stuff in, in a pretty, you know, clear way so that you're not just lost in a haze of numbers. So, uh, what we're looking at right now is the top five average versus the six or ten average with just a little chart. It gives you a better visual uh, uh, breakdown of the two. So, 
right tackle has a clear, clear disparity. It drops off the most by far from any other position. Some that are pretty close, like I said, just looking at this at this chart is wide receivers pretty close. Um, safety is not a huge difference. Linebacker is a little bit more of a difference. Um, and I guess center is still has a, a pretty large discrepancy there as well. When we're looking at the percentage discrepancy between the highest paid player at the position and the 10th highest paid player at the position, there is no position that has a larger discrepancy than right tackle. It's even bigger than it was last week when we talked. And uh, there haven't been uh, much in the way of new extensions or new contracts for that position, but um, it looks like the back end has dropped off a bit. It seems like we've lost a little bit of a, a middle class in the right tackle market. Um, running back is still up there too. That hasn't changed a whole heck of a lot. Center, there's a larger disparity now. Linebacker, uh, there's a larger disparity now. Uh, or uh, That's pretty close to the same, excuse me, as it was. Um, and I think tight end, there's a little bit of a larger one. The least... Uh, discrepancy again wide receiver that was similar last week for the 2021 metrics uh, corner is now the second uh, lowest discrepancy between the highest paid and the 10th highest paid and uh, left tackle comes in third for the least discrepancy so the largest discrepancies between highest paid and 10th highest paid that didn't vary much from 2021 to 2022 is running back and tight end. Um, you know, just looking at who's makes up that top 10, it's almost the same for running back. It's Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon. That's the same top eight. Now we have Melvin Gordon no longer on the list, and we've had John Connor. Uh, James Conner and Leonard Fournette come in and take seven and eight over, both at seven million per year. We're looking at almost the exact same breakdown. Um, pretty much, you are a top end running back, and if you are, you got extended, and if not, you hit free agency, and you're probably slightly overpaid, you know, um, for what you do. John Conner and Leonard Fournette are probably both. Fall into that category, but um, it's there's not a big discrepancy from first through eighth, and then it just drops off. Tight end, what we're looking at is uh, similar at the top: George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Dallas Goddard, Mark Andrews, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, um, and Austin Hooper. That's not right. What am I doing? Uh, tight end. Let me take a look at here. What I should be that should be Zach Ertz at 10.55 now Austin Hooper got released bear with me on some of my adjustments there um so Johnny Smith then Zach Ertz uh then Taysom Hill is kind of a weird one because when he signed that contract I think that they still envisioned him to be some kind of I mean I know they still envisioned him to be some kind of um mobile quarterback um but now they've moved him over to tight end and he comes in at 10 million per year 
then you get Evan Engram, who signed a $9 million one-year contract with the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Logan Thomas at $8.022 million. So it hasn't changed much. We had a little bit of flip-flopping around. We basically had Zach Ertz come in and take over where at almost the exact same uh, annual average that uh, Austin Hooper had, um, Taysom Hill, and Evan Ingram take over where we had basically Rob Gronkowski and one other player. So, again, large discrepancy between the top and the bottom for the exact same reasons that we talked about last week, but nothing has really changed in terms of how the league has looked at these guys. And the one thing I will point out is that there's a possibility that that will change a little bit and that the discrepancy will will diminish a little. And I'm not sure how teams are going to do this because if we are looking at uh, over the caps uh, impending free agents for 2023 and we look at tight end, we have a number of guys... Um, First of all, that pop off the screen just in terms of uh, being on the franchise tag that it, that at least one of these teams may extend long term at some point in the summer. Um, and then honestly, going down the list, um, I'm not sure if anybody jumps off the page in terms of non-franchise tag player that's that's going to get paid a significant amount of money. Um, but we, oh, TJ Hawkinson would be the one, but he was 2019, 19, 20, 21, 22, but he'll probably, they'll probably put a, uh, the fifth year option on him. So that'll push him off one year. So we're basically, we're looking at David and jo- David and Joku, Dalton Schultz and Mike Gusecki. Um, I'm not sure any of them will get an extension, but any or all of them could potentially. Um, and that would probably bump some guys like Evan Engram or Logan Thomas or even Taysom Hill off the list. You know, if one or a couple of those guys get extensions. So that might uh, lose a little bit of... Or it might, it might uh, close the gap a little bit between the top and the 10th. For the positions that have the largest discrepancy that there is a significant variance between what they were last week and what they are now. I should say what they were in 2021 and what they are now in 2022. Uh, Let's look at right tackle, first of all. So we still have Ryan Ramchick, Brian O'Neill, Lane Johnson, Braden Smith, and Taylor Moten as the top five, all earning somewhere between $17 million and $19.2 million per year. So there's like a clear uh, top class of right tackle. And then on the other side, 6 through 10, we have uh, Chukwuma Okorafor. Hopefully I said that right. Uh, George Fant, Rob Havenstein, Jack Conklin, and Lyle Collins. So some of the same guys, but they've ended up taking a pay cut. Um, so Conklin, Collins, um, Okorafor is a new contract signing for the Steelers. But there, there seems to be a split in ideologies about what to do with right tackle, whether you make a significant investment at both tackle spots or if you just need to uh, make a lesser 
uh, commitment at the right side than the left side. Although, you know, with the Rams, I don't even know because they just signed an extension to their left tackle that's pretty low. So, I don't know. Maybe they're just... Maybe we shouldn't put them into that that uh, category. But, I mean, you know, the Browns, they spent a high first-round pick on their left tackle and they've got their right tackle for... You know, he's still near the top of the market, you know, ranking-wise. But he's only making $8 million per year. You look at the Bengals, they have a high first-round pick. Uh, at their left tackle position, their right tackle is making $7 million per year. The Jets, now this is a weird one because they may end up having Fanta at left tackle, but high first-round pick at left tackle, right tackle... Making nine point two million per year. Um, Steelers, they, I mean, they might go quarterback this year, but they might draft a tackle. Who knows? But again, right tackle, making under ten million per year. So it's it's just a, it's a it's kind of a weird thing to see. Um, and I, I guess it's a, a similar to the difference in ideology about what to do with the running back position. Some teams are willing to pay those guys, and some teams just aren't willing to to do it. Um, and right tackle, I guess, is similar. I think, you know, probably one of the things that we can look at here, although that doesn't necessarily stand up either. I mean, if you're looking at how expensive the quarterback is, you know, you some teams might be willing to spend more on the offensive line if they have a cheaper quarterback. I guess the Rams would fall into that. The Eagles would fall into that. You know, um, I'm not sure that that really holds up either, though. Next up, we have center. Center did get a little bit pricier. Um, we had Kelsey set the market at $14 million per year, Jason Kelsey, then Frank Ragnow. Ryan Jensen jumped up to $13 million, signing his new contract with the Buccaneers. Corey Lindsley is in fourth, and Ryan Kelly's in fifth. Then we have Chase Roulier at 6th, uh, Rodney Hudson 7, Mitch Morris 8, Connor McGovern 9, and Ben Jones 10. So uh, we got a little pricier up top, but we actually got even lower as we went down the list. So similar thing to right tackle. Um, actually, really, it's not. It's It's a much more even decline from 14 down to 7. Now, even though the percentage of 7 is only 50% of 14 million from Ben Jones up to Kelsey, it's it's an even decline. You know, you're dropping down half a million, half a million, half a million, tenth of a million, then like 2 point something million 0.1 million. It, like it's a, it's a very steady decline. So it is different from the right tackle. There is there's not a not a, a clear tier one in terms of salary compensation. Guard. We got Brandon Scherf who set the market with the Jacksonville Jaguars at 16.5 million now. Then we got Joe Tooney, Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, Zach Martin. A lot of the same guys there. Um, JC Treader was released, so he's no longer on the list. And then Lakin Tomlinson. Came in at thirteen point three 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 million with the Jets, so he's now the sixth highest paid guard. Um, and Andrus Pete, 
still there. Cody Whitehair is still there. Uh, <laughs> I did. I used to be able to pronounce that, but I don't want to just butcher it now at the moment. So Vitae, Big V, uh, with the Lions at nine million. Shaq Mason at nine million now. So um, we lost some of some of the guys that were in there at. Um, You know what? Man, I'm tired. I must be tired because J.C. Treader is a center. He's not even a guard. Um, so who did we lose? Oh, we lost Ali Marpet. He retired. Um, who else did we lose? Anybody? Let's take a look at what we had before. Oh, Brandon Brooks retired. Roger Saffold was, was released. Eric Flowers was released. So, I think what happened there is we had a small addition to the top of the market. One guy come in in that middle range. And then we just lost some of the depth to, to releases, to cap cuts, and uh, retirement. Linebacker. So, Man, I really should have triple checked my work on this one <laughs> this week. Uh, okay, so I got like eighty percent of the way there. Okay, so top five we have uh, Darius Leonard, Fred Warner, C.J. Mosley, and uh, Foysad Aluakon is now. At 15 million with the Jaguars. Um, and um, so he's the new fourth place. We lost uh, Bobby Wagner, who was the third highest paid position. He was released and now signed for 10 million a year. So he, I believe so. He comes in just outside of the top 10 here. Uh, Deion Jones is now fifth. Shaq Thompson, Jerome Baker, Levante David, Zach Cunningham. Matt Milano, Cunningham took a uh, reduction in salary to stay with the Titans. So he's still on the list, but drops down a little bit. So, I mean, I think when we're looking at a linebacker, one of the things that I've talked about last week is that some positions, um, like interior defensive line, they will end up having a, a low discrepancy between highest and 10th because guys will sign a big contract to be at the top of the market. Then they'll get beat out by a number of guys, uh, by a number of players, uh, bit by bit, incrementally. Um, but they play so long. They have such a long career where they maintain relative effectiveness and they're hard to come by that uh, those interior defensive linemen uh, will play four or five years into that contract. And so they won't be, a, 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 they won't retire and have that drop off in salary. But linebacker, I think we've saw some of that. Um, you know, we had Bobby Wagner released as a cap cut because at some point he just wasn't effective enough to be worth 18 million, still a good player, but I guess, you know, um, it was time for them to move on there. 
then uh, Miles Jack. Where did I have oh linebacker that I can just double check? Okay, so uh, Miles Jack was reduced in price because he wasn't worth as much, um, you know. And uh, so that brings us down to Matt Milano, who probably is worth more than what's actually what his salary is. The Bills seem to do. A bizarrely good job of getting players at discounts uh, when it comes to signing extensions. Um, I mean, Tredavious White, I feel like, is is an example of that. Deion Dawkins, I think, is an example of that. Matt Milano is an example of that. Um, I don't know if if Josh Allen is. I mean, I think on some level he, he is just by. The nature of, oh my God, of how good of a quarterback he is, and and the fact that quarterbacks are kind of always by nature undervalued uh, in the marketplace, in the NFL marketplace. So, um, that aside, um, we've just had some of the elder players either take a price cut or, uh, I don't think anybody retired, but they either took a price cut or were released to sign elsewhere for a lesser value. And let's do the same thing we did a few minutes ago and take a look at the impending linebacker extensions. Let's see. Um, Devin White, he is more than likely going to receive a pretty hefty extension. Uh, I don't know if he'll beat out the market, um, but he would be up there, I would imagine. Roquan Smith is a guy that probably will as well. Um, Devin White, he might, might have been a 2019 guy, so he might have a fifth-year option coming as well. I think Roquan Smith was a 2018 draft pick, which means I think he'll be up for an extension, depending on how the uh, Bears are kind of feeling about their rebuild situation. He's a guy that would make a substantial amount of money. And then Tremaine, Ed Tremaine Edmonds is another guy who probably would end up with a near top of the market contract. Um, so that discrepancy will probably get a little bit smaller uh, at some point in the next um, three, four months, I would, I would imagine. Um, because what'll happen is obviously if those couple of guys, they sign, they bump some of the lower guys off the list. So suddenly Levante David is, you know, the 10th guy or whatever the case may be. Um, let's keep moving. Uh, just another look at it. Now we're, we're going to swing over to the, uh, least discrepancy, the, the least percentage discrepancy between the first and 10th player. Wide receiver, obviously we really have to take a look at this one because it's undergone such a, a distinct uh, movement over this past couple of weeks, few weeks. Tyreek Hill now being the highest paid wide receiver at his position, Stephon Diggs 
um, being the second highest paid at the position, Devontae Adams at third. Um, those were the ones that are pushing the top of the market. But something that's interesting here is the fact that guys like DJ Moore, Mike Williams, um, got $20 million each. Godwin, it's a little bit high for him probably, but again, the market just dictated that. Um, and the fact that guys like, uh, what's his name? Uh, with Jacksonville, the wide receiver that signed in Jacksonville. Um, let's take a look. I'm... Wide receiver. I'm not quite as awake as last week, if you can't tell. Uh, Christian Kirk. So Christian Kirk hitting $18 million a year. Um, Brandon Cooks uh, getting an extension. Uh, for over 19 million per year like these are in fact that probably happened since I did this let me take a look here is that a real number yeah it looks like it so actually it's gone up even higher so 19.882 Let's get him on there. Uh, here, take away DeAndre Hopkins. Now we have, so we actually have, in a, kind of a, a funny, a little bit of ironic uh, story, if you follow it closely, uh, we now have Brandon Cooks actually making more annually than, than DeAndre Hopkins. So, obviously, the market is climbing dramatically. At the wide receiver position, so Tyreek being able to kind of uh, openly negotiate with another team um, with a relatively low trade package, I think that's actually something that helped his his uh, salary situation just because the more you have to spend in draft picks, um, the less, uh, you, the, the more you limit what team will potentially go after you. I mean, Hill is definitely a, a monster of a player and maybe it wouldn't have mattered anyway, but such to the point that he was able to both set the market and go to whatever team he wanted to, which was um, the Miami Dolphins. And, um, you know, Diggs, he was able to negotiate an extension. Um, he was already underpaid in terms of uh, what the wide receiver market had been looking like uh, directly around the time that the Bills traded for him. And then obviously going off, leading the league and receiving yards and just putting up a lot of statistics, having a ton of impact. He was even more underpaid. And as time went on, like he was dropping into like what the... 20th highest paid wide receiver, which is just kind of ridiculous. So um, they did right by him, gave him an extension, dramatically brought up his price tag. Devontae Adams, um, he actually set the market initially with the trade and uh, contract with the Raiders. So um, although 
uh, Julio Jones was released before that happened, um, who was sitting at $22 million at the top of the market. Um, that's clearly still the number that they operated off of to get to the 22.5 as the new uh, market setter. And, you know, those wide receiver contracts were are really kind of weird when you look at them. And it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. They both have, uh, Hill and Adams both have uh, inflated numbers at the end of their contract, which uh, boosted their annual values to $28 million for Adams and $30 million for Hill. And really, those are in there because of that DeAndre Hopkins contract. Uh, the one that, you know, on face value looked like it was a $27 million per year extension. That's the way that they were able to report it because technically, like from a very technical standpoint, from a very specific standpoint, you could call it that, but it wasn't. And the fact that these contracts, both of these market setting contracts had to come in with uh, these inflated numbers at the end of the contract that we know that that player will never see. Everyone knows that player will never see if you actually look at it. Um, the fact that they had to account for that $27 million while the actual like uh, applied value basically jumped up the, the uh, annual average just over Julio Jones and then again over Devontae Adams with Hill's contract. It tells us that you know the teams around the league never looked at that um, uh, never looked at that DeAndre Hopkins contract as being a legitimate $27 million per year uh, extension. So that's basically just um, verifying what I had talked about when I did my video on DeAndre Hopkins last year. Um, you know, and then DJ Moore, Mike Williams, Chris Godwin, um, now Brandon Cooks, all coming in close to that $20 million per year range, if not just over. Um, we're looking at a situation where teams are just saying, this position is important. Once you've proven you can be an impactful player uh, in the league, we want to pay you, we want to retain you. And I think you just see that there are so many wide receivers that are impactful. You know, I mean, the top 10, all of these guys are impactful, save for what Michael Thomas. And, and honestly, who knows what he'll come back looking like. He could come back and be a top five receiver, or he could never really see significant playing time again. You just don't know with his injury situation um, and, and how it's looked for him over these past couple of years. But, you know, you look at even the guys that are outside of this top 10 list, there's a ton of very productive receivers, um, guys that are still on their rookie contracts. There's a ton of really productive receivers. Uh, um, even guys that are eligible for extensions now, um, everyone's kind of talking about the big three, but there's four of them really. Debo Samuel, uh, Terry McLaurin, AJ Brown, and DK Metcalf. All of those guys are guys found in later rounds, whether it be second or third round, and they're going to push the market up a little bit. Um, I'm sure at least one of them is probably going to beat out Tyreek Hill. I'm not sure more than one will. Um, 
but there's just so many players at the wide receiver position. And it, and teams are just saying, like, we're, we know there's a lot of them out there, but we just don't want to move on from these guys. But the one thing is that those teams that are uh, kind of overbooked in terms of other contracts on their team, especially quarterbacks, they are saying um, that's kind of the, the, the unique situation where we're willing to move on from one of these guys because we feel like our quarterback can account for, you know, or help along the development of one of these younger guys that we're probably going to have to draft or replace him. Um, we saw that already with um, uh, Minnesota, and I think it worked out probably better than they could have ever hoped. But now we're seeing it with uh, the Packers and the Chiefs as well. Corner. Um, we... One of the reasons that there's not a lot of discrepancies because we didn't really see much of a much in in terms of the market jump. Um, Denzel Ward got his extension, barely beat out Jalen Ramsey. Um, Xavier Howard got uh, essentially just a totally new contract with the Dolphins, but it didn't net him the same kind of um, annual average that. Um, some of these guys did at the top of the market. I think one of the reasons that the Dolphins were able to do that is because he had a couple of years left on the deal. They were able to semi-report it as a high average per year at $25 million, even though I don't think anybody really looked at it that way. But just because of the number of years left, I think that was kind of how they got away with that in the negotiation. Um, but it comes in at $18 million per year. Um, with a, basically a fully redone contract. You know, a lot of these other guys, they didn't move. And then one of the um, players that a lot of people thought would set the market was J.C. Jackson, and he very much did not. He's only got a $16.5 million per year contract. And I think one of the reasons for that is there was a lot of, a lot of talk out there about how he ha- may have some like questionable work habits um, in terms of work ethic. So like a guy you might have to work really hard, really stay on. There was questions about how much, like how much he would care after he got paid. This is all hearsay. This is just stuff that was out there in the media from a lot of different people. So um, that may have impacted his uh, negotiations with teams. There may have been less teams interested uh, than there would have been if he was known as like a super hard worker. There's probably also the fact that I think this is probably part of it. I know that the Patriots do have weird habits or unusual habits, I should say, in terms of moving on from guys a little bit earlier than others, other teams would, um, or, you know, trading guys away, allowing guys to walk in free agency. And a lot of times, um, it turns out that that probably was the right move. A player that was relatively successful, perceived as a high-impact player in New England, goes somewhere else, doesn't make the same kind of impact. Now, when you're looking at what, like, what J.C. Jackson could do, just in terms of straight-up coverage and and uh, uh, like turnover production, it's hard to imagine that that wouldn't translate pretty well. But the fact that the Patriots did straight up just did not even offer him a contract, I think was a red flag, or at least one of the 
uh, perceived red flags to JC Jackson. So I think that's just kind of a, an unusual factor when we're looking at why he didn't get top of the market money. And then Carlton Davis, um, he, I, you know, I think he probably could have got a little bit more, um, if he just went somewhere else. But I think the fact that Brady, uh, came out of retirement, like right before, uh, or I think it was like the day or two before, um, the, um, legal tampering period, uh, I think that might have been one of those things where, you know, players are willing to make the effort to come back for slightly less than they would have. Um, you know, I imagine that he was going to just go for the highest bidder. And I don't know if Tampa was going to make a strong effort to retain him just because they have some cap, you know, they're tight on the cap, you know, and um, I don't think they were going to try and pin themselves into a corner with the cap with Brady retired, but when they realized he was coming back, they were willing to stretch that out a little bit more. And I think Davis was probably willing to, to, you know, come in just under market value. I would imagine maybe not. Maybe that was the best he got, the best he got out there. I don't know, but I'm kind of guessing that it could have done a little bit better potentially. Um, and although he's a good corner, I don't think he comes, he's, stacks up at this some of the with some of these other guys here like a Jalen Ramsey or Marlon Humphrey or a Lattimore or a Howard um, but a lot of times that doesn't matter once a player gets their free agency they end up getting paid like one of those guys even if they're not just because they're the best available so it's hard, it's hard to say exactly I don't I didn't look closely enough at the storylines with him and the reporting with him to see if um, you know it was reported that he took less to go back to Tampa, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. And then left tackle, Bakhtiari, Tunsil, Williams, Ronnie Stanley, they're still the top four. Uh, we get Jake Matthews with an extension, 18.5, so he beats out Colton Miller. Doesn't get that top four money, um, but a good deal nonetheless for him. And then Colton Miller, Garrett Balls, Taylor Luan, Jordan Mylodin, Donovan Smith, all the same guys that we saw. So, um, we saw one guy get up, step into that, but we didn't really see any other change there. So, um, again, we've seen teams really make a strong effort to retain their left tackles, even if they're not elite left tackles, because even good left tackles are hard to find, are really hard to find. Um, and... I think we're always going to see a pretty tight marketplace from one through 10 because of that. Because teams are, even if they don't want to get that, pay that top money, they're still willing to find that, I don't know, um, middle class, so to speak, for the left tackle position, just to make sure they keep those guys on the roster. So another metric we look at here is players in the top 10 paid to their position that were either exclusively extended from their drafted team, whether they were available via trade or whether they were outright via free agency um, just on the open market. And again, we got some graphics here just to kind of help you visually uh, if that's if that helps you to see. Um, now, even though point out quarterback is only 50% in terms of extended, that's kind of uh, 
it's a little weird because we also have 40% of them being traded. So that's a little bit, I think, unusual. There's been some turnover. Um, Deshaun Watson, uh, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, Jared Goff. All of these guys come in in the top 10, that, but they're all traded from one team to another. So I think, I don't know if this is necessarily going to be a, a trend going forward. Um, you know, we've always seen veteran quarterbacks get moved towards the end of their career. Um, you know, a lot of times if you had a really good quarterback for a long period of time, you had the luxury of trying to uh, acquire his replacement groom him for a little while and then leave yourself a uh, you know an option to move on from a guy let that veteran go to a quarterback needy team get your young guy in there to start and then uh, use those additional draft assets to uh, you know kind of rebuild your team around the younger guy you know we've seen that it's it's nothing new um, you know we saw that happen with Green Bay with Favre, we saw them attempt to do it with um, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. Didn't necessarily go how they thought it was going to go, but again, it's hard to complain when you have a two-time MVP out of it. Um, you know, we saw New England consistently drafting guys who could have been the potential replacement to Brady. Eventually, it turns out that he just leaves via free agency in kind of an unusual situation. Um, you know, we've we've seen... Uh, teams attempt to draft replacements before the end of the veteran's career. And so that is not new. Um, I think what is new is um, teams being willing to give up on guys like Matthew Stafford, who are more or less in the prime of their career, even if it's sort of on the back end. A Russell Wilson, who it's debatable, I mean, how many years he might have left, but, you know, I think his best of 2020 and his best of 20, even though, again, it was not the greatest season last year, the, the best of 2021 was still a pretty high level of quarterbacking. You know, teams being willing to give up on, a, to move on from guys in their prime and then Deshaun Watson, which is just total outlier situation. Um, I, I'm not sure why teams are doing this more than ever. I mean, I can't think of any player with those kinds, those kind of pedigrees that were still, you know, young enough without obvious replacements being moved on from in that same way, you know, then Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, both teams who extended their young quarterbacks and then basically regretted it almost instantly, you know, and both ended up just eating cap, uh, a significant dead cap is just to move on from those guys. So, I you know, I think the perception of the quarterback is changing um, and, and kind of morphing right in front of our eyes. And I know that the value of the quarterback has gone, has only increased over the past 20, 30 years. But I think teams the way that they view their quarterback situation, like the way that they're willing to treat it seems to be 
changing as well. So I don't know, that'll be another thing to talk about in a, in a future video that we can really dig into it. Um, but in terms of positions that were generally not available in free agency, running back uh, at 80% retain rate, that's something that's a little bit weird. Left tackle, we kind of expect that. Um, we talked about a lot of these last week, so I don't want to rehash it too much. Linebacker went down just a little bit. Um, edge, I think, went down just a little bit. Um, and uh, let's see. I think most of the rest are pretty similar. Let me take a look here. Yeah, more or less the same. Tight end went down a little bit. Actually, edge went up a little bit. Um, defensive line down a little bit, but we're talking about 10%, which in this small sample size is just one player for a lot of these. Um, some of the positions with high free agency availability, uh, same as last week, these offensive line positions. Um, we had, let's see, Rodney Hudson, again, he was available in free agency years ago. Um, Mitch Morse was available in free agency years ago. They've been extended, I think, or, well, Hudson was traded and Mitch Morse is extended now. Um, but in, initially, they were available in free agency. Connor McGovern available in free agency. Um, oh, Corey Lindsley available in free agency. For guard, we had Scherf available in free agency. Joe Tooney available in free agency. Um, like in Tomlinson, uh, Vitae, all available via free agency. For the right tackle market, we had uh, a core of four. Not this kind of an iffy one. I included him just because he didn't sign until legal tampering period. And like, as far as I'm concerned, if you allow a player to get up to the legal tampering period and then you bring him back, like you basically said to that player, like, just see what's out there, and and this is what we got for you. And if you want to come back here, go for it. So that's just to me, that's essentially the same as free agency. You know, just because you sign back with your same team on the first day of legal tampering, you're an effective free agent. Conklin was a free agent. Lyle Collins was a free agent. George Fant was a free agent. So all of these, all of these um, line positions, center guard, right tackle, they're all, at least comparatively speaking, uh, more available in free agency. But that's the same as last uh, last year. High free agency availability at some of the other positions. Uh, tight end, again, nothing different. Um, it's more so, if not anything, Logan Thomas, Evan Ingram. Um, uh, again, Austin Hooper, that should not be there. But uh, Zach Ertz is, uh, is there instead, so he's there. John Smith, Hunter Henry, um, all these guys, free agents. Um, Safety, same as uh, last week, in that we've got guys like Marcus Williams, Quandre Diggs, um, John Johnson, Justin Reed, all these guys, free agents. Um, some of the top of the market are not for both tight end, for safety. So I think, you know, suggest that if you're looking for an elite player at that position, a top five player at that position, you probably do have to uh, draft them yourself. But really the reason that I look at if they're available in free agency is to tell you 
if you have multiple needs and safety is one of them, if tight end is one of them, if corner is one of them, and you want a guy to start, you want to get a, a relatively good player at that position, uh, just make sure that you sign one of them in free agency. So Because other players at different positions are not available in free agency, which means you have to draft them to get good ones. So again, it's not saying that you should never draft a safety or never try and get a safety and develop them into a high quality player. It's just that if you have multiple needs and tight end, safety, corner is one of them, that's where you should, uh, you know, prioritize those positions. All right, let's see what's next. It's the same thing again, just because I'm going to start looking at uh, positions with a low uh, free agency availability. And just to look at it uh, again quick. Um, wide receiver, 50% extended, but also 50% traded. So none of those wide receivers were available in free agency. That's something to keep note of. Um quarterback again I'm not going to look that closely I kind of talked about it a little bit and and we already expect that um, left tackle um, and interior defensive line so and edge as well so left tackle um, only actually none of these guys were available in free agency I think it, like one was last week um, two of them were traded, I think. Let's see who... Oh, just one. Oh, no, Laramie Tunsil and Trent Williams were both traded, but all of the rest were extended with their original team. None of them available on the open market. Um, interior defensive line. We went from having... Let's see. I think none available on the open market and two in trade. So Leonard Williams and DeForest Buckner were traded for. And Fletcher Cox, he wasn't. But again, that's kind of a weird situation just because he was released um, and brought back at a slightly lower price point from, I think, around $18 million down to about $14 million. And I, I just, I don't know if they, you know, I, I feel like they had a gentleman's agreement before he was ever released that he was going to sign that contract. I mean, it's technically testing free agency, but they probably knew initially that before he was ever released that he was going to come back and sign for that, probably because of, you know, how old he is, where he's, you know, um, doesn't want to up and move his whole family or move away from his family for one year. It could be his potential last year. So who knows? We'll see what happens with that. But I, I just feel like even that is not a true, true free agency um and then edge edge is a little bit weird because we did have a little bit more in terms of free agency availability um both chandler jones and von miller were free agents uh, but again those guys are both over 30 both of those guys um played out their contract um you know completed their contract reached free agency um as an unrestricted free agent versus a cap cut. And I I think that both of those guys probably got slightly oops. Let's do this. Because that's probably how it should be. I think 
or was he 18 million? Actually, he was. I think he's 18 million. Good job, Max. I would really love to edit this so that you don't see all this messing around, but honestly, I have neither the time or nor the energy to do that right now. So let's put him back where he belongs, but just with his proper thing. Let me double check just to make sure that he's at 18 million where he belongs. Um, edge rusher. Vaughn Miller. Oh, yeah, and it says 20. That's right. But I have to do my own math. So his his was one of those ones with the inflated end of, end like, in, 20, <laughs> in 2027, it says he's going to earn $29.6 million as a base salary. Essentially, what looks like it would be close to $30 million in his final year. But he's already age 33. So, you know, you know we're talking about at his almost age 40. So we know he's not going to earn that. And so that's an inflated number. Um, I don't remember exactly. Maybe 17 was right. Or maybe it was 18. I, I really genuinely don't remember at this moment. <coughs> Regardless, um, that's, <coughs> uh, that's essentially what we're looking at for, for the edge market. Um, a bunch of guys who are all extended, a couple of them were traded for, Khalil Mack, I guess only Khalil Mack, um, and a couple of older 30-plus guys who played out of their contract. Um, I guess the teams weren't really in a position in uh, uh, Arizona and, I guess, L.A. to extend a post-30-year-old edge rusher, necessarily. Um, and so they just let him go, and... They'll probably be good for another team for a year or two. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. But generally speaking, a very hard position to come by in terms of premier talent on the open market. Um, more low free agency availability. Wide receiver like I talked about. Tyreek Hill traded. Stephon Diggs traded. Devontae Adams traded. Uh, DJ Moore, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Chris Godwin... All retained. Mari Cooper traded. DeAndre Hopkins traded. But again, uh, Brandon Cooks should be in that final spot. Didn't update this one yet. But he was traded as well. So half of these top wide receivers were all traded. And I think what you're seeing there, you know, what, what you see is teams being willing to trade very, very good wide receivers and trusting their franchise, their established franchise quarterbacks to develop younger, less expensive players. Uh, once they reach that second quarterback contract, because it is so expensive, um, you know, and they they send those veteran wide receivers on to other teams who, for whatever reason, have a less expensive quarterback situation, whether it's because they're a rookie or just they're in that purgatory, in that quarterback purgatory where they have a cheap veteran, which is probably the worst place that you could be, um, then running back, uh, this is something I talked about last week, so I don't really want to rehash it, but just generally speaking, you have either a top-end, high-impact running back who can who can impact the game um, to some degree and not be utterly dependent on the offensive line and, and offense around them, 
and make things happen by themselves, or you don't. And there's just a few of those guys that are that kind of athlete and playmaker. Um, hasn't changed since last year at all. Linebacker, um, a similar thing, I think. Man, here's so annoying to see my own mistakes here. I will try to <laughs> prepare better before. I thought I went through everything and, and did that right, but obviously not the case. Um, linebackers, same kind of thing. There's only a couple of players that really impact the game at that kind of level, and we're, I think it's really coverage, guys. Um, there, there's a few guys who are high impact in terms of pass rush, whether you're talking about Devin White as a blitzer, whether you're talking about um, Mike Parsons as a straight-up rusher. But really, what you're going to find is that the, the biggest impact, um, the special players are those guys that can cover in the middle of the field. And um, if you find those guys, you do want to retain them. It's worthwhile because it's something that so few other teams have. But they're just they're really hard to find. It's really hard to predict what kind of player is actually going to be able to do that effectively. Because you can draft all the, all the live long day linebackers with high athleticism traits and it's not going to, you know, necessarily work out for you. In fact, more often than not, they're just going to either be um, good run defenders or just not really good at either, either thing. So, you know, it's, it's, when you got them, it's excellent. It's worth retaining, but most teams don't. I mean, C.J. Mosley's not that guy. Luukan's not that guy. That's an overpay, just like pretty much every Jacksonville contract this offseason. You know, Deion Jones is kind of that guy, but he's so light that he's, I think, he's a good coverage player, but he, he I don't think that he's just the same elite type of player that a Darius Leonard or a Fred Warner is. So, when we're looking at players... And where they're selected in the draft, that's kind of the final piece of this positional value that I, I'm looking at. You know, how expensive are they? So what, where does the league prioritize them? How expensive it is to, to get those guys then? B, where are they available uh, via free agency or trade, or do you have to draft them? And then when you get to the draft, um, where in the draft do you have to make that investment? We're looking at the top 10 right now. So the percent of these players selected in the top 10 picks of a draft, uh, we now have, and I want to compare this to last year too, just in my notes here. So quarterback, 40%, edge rusher, 40%. So four of the 10 of each of those positions were drafted in the top 10. That's high comparatively to these other positions. Um, left tackle, 30%. So those would be the highest ones. Um, interior defensive line, Wide receiver, corner, and right tackle are all 20%. Now, one of the things I do want to point out is I think a lot of times when you see a right tackle who was drafted in the top 10, chances are they were probably drafted to be a left tackle and for whatever reason ended up being on the right side. Um, I think generally that's because there was just a very good player um, who uh, probably ended up playing longer than the other team, the team initially expected. Um, like, for example, Lane Johnson was drafted, I think, to replace Jason Peters. Jason Peters just kept playing at a high level, so he stuck at right tackle. Um, that, or, 
uh, Jack Conklin. I think he might have been one of the other ones that was drafted in the top 10. And he was probably meant to replace Taylor Luan, if I remember right, kind of hearing about that. He didn't play as well when he was a first-round draft pick, but then ended up, ended up um, really improving a lot and just making it impossible for... Um, the Titans to move him away from that left tackle position. So I think that's really where you get that 20% from. I think if you're intending to play a quarter, uh, a tackle at right side, probably not looking at a top 10 pick for him, um, generally speaking. Uh, and then no linebackers, tight ends, or centers currently. Um, probably will have at least one at some point with Devin White. But again, at least based on this statistical data from 2011 or from um, from this top 10, none of these guys were drafted in the first round. Safety guard, 10% each, and running back, 30%. That's a one from last week because uh, Leonard Fournette is now technically a top 10 paid running back. Um, that's going to change a little bit when we go up to the true first round. So quarterbacks up to 60%, edge 80%, left tackle 70%. Interior defensive line, 80%. Wide receiver, 40%. Corner, 60%. Right tackle, 30%. Linebacker, 20%. Safety, 20%. Guard, 40%. Tight end, 10%. Running back, 30%. Center, 20%. So, um, where we've seen some uh, notable change is edge, left tackle, interior defensive line, and corner, um, Aside from quarterback, those are all the positions that are now over uh, over 50%. So up to 60% of those players were found in the first round. Which means that when we look at the end, when we're talking about where uh, we want to prioritize our pick investment, those are going to be the ones that are pretty much in the first round. Interestingly, wide receiver, same as last week, only 40% of the top guys are... Uh, were drafted in the first round. Let's go to the top 40, because I do like to use that as a little measuring stick before we go all the way through the second round. Quarterback now up to 70%. Edge and left tackle at 80%. Corner also 80%. Interior defensive line now 90%. Same as last week. Wide receiver still only at 40%. Right tackle is only at 40%. Linebacker. Safety, tight end, all 30%. Guard is at 50%. Corner is at 20%. So, you know, what's changed here? Um, pretty much all of the same positions, only slightly more so. So, um, I what, what I take away from that is for a lot of these positions, um, if you can find them in the first round, there's probably a reasonable chance that you can still find them in the top 40. Um, and obviously every draft is a little different, so you kind of have to see, you know, where your grades are and, and who falls exactly. Like you can't assume you're going to get a corner, a top 10 level corner in, in the top 40 versus the top 32, but just the way that, um, you know, oftentimes at least a couple of first round level players fall out of the top, uh, 32, just because somebody reaches for a position or, couple of quarterbacks go or whatever the case might be those are the positions where you might be able to find a little value there um, now we get to the second round positions that have made that jump to over 60 percent are right tackle uh, 
uh, wide receiver, linebacker, guard, and running back. So if you're looking for a, a, an elite running back, probably need to be going at some point in the second round. Um, probably don't need to spend that first round pick on them, but second round, if that's if that's really important to your team to have that kind of impact running back, first uh, second round is where you want to find that guy. That's what that tells me right there. Um, guard, it's up to sixty percent, um, but just keeping in mind that there's an additional forty percent. Um, can be found in third round or later. Plus, we know that 40% of those guys were also open on the open market. Um, you probably don't have to prioritize guard in the second round unless your team needs are relatively low. Um, I think linebacker, same type of thing. You can start uh, looking for linebackers here, but you've still got a substantial number, 40% of them still to be found in third round or later. Um, so you can look for a linebacker in the second round. Don't don't necessarily have to. You can wait till the third. Um, and right tackle. We're starting to see that there's probably an athleticism cap where you need a guy of a certain type of athletic talent to have a real chance of playing at a high end tackle, uh, uh, a high end level at tackle. So probably can't get out of the second round really and expect to have um, a, a high quality right tackle. Wide receiver has only gone up to 60%. So again, we've added a little bit to that 40%, but considering how valuable the position is and how, what type of premier position it is, when you compare it to the others, corner, interior defensive line, left tackle, edge, quarterback, that 60% is low. Um, in terms of the percentage of them that are found in that first round. Uh, first and second round, I mean. When you're looking at the percentage of players selected by the third round, um, edge, interior defensive line, corner, are all up to 90%. Quarterback, left tackle, wide receiver is now up to 80%. Right tackle is up to 80%. Linebacker, safety, up to 80% and running backs up to 90%. So essentially the only positions where you're finding even 30% of the guys outside of the third round would be guard, tight end, and center. Center being only at 40%, which means that more than half of the guys were found outside of, of the third round, which is the same as even though we've had a little bit of variability in terms of who's paid, who's in that top 10, that 40% has stayed the same, which means that again drafting a center in the first round it's like it, it it's just it's it's awful value if you're trying to maximize the the talent on your roster how can you look at a first round pool of players and say you know what I know that this is probably the only place I can get a legitimate edge rusher. This is probably the only place I can, you know, at least in that top 10 world. And it's the only place I can get that top 10 type of edge rusher. It's the only place I can get that top 10 type of tackle. It's the only place I can get that top 10 type of uh, interior pass rusher. It's the only place I can get that kind of top 10 quarterback. It's the only place I can get that top 10 kind of corner. Like all these positions where it's like the only place you can really count on getting it is a top 32, top 40. 
and then you're going to use one of those picks on a center where it, it those guys are available in even the fourth round or beyond or in free agency even it just it makes no sense it makes absolutely no sense and I know there are different ideologies. I mean, I was listening to, uh, so I love The Athletic. I love The Athletic Football Show. And uh, Randy Mueller does the Football GM podcast um, with, uh, uh, God, I'm just tired. I'm sorry. Um, what's his name? What's his name? Um, Robert San- Ro- Sando. Mike Sando. Sando. Mike Sando? Yeah, Mike Sando. Sorry. Sorry, Mike. I'm just tired. I swear. I listen to you every week. Um, and uh, Randy Mueller is a, an ex-GM for, I believe, two different teams. And he was worked in the league for a long time in, in you know, uh, scouting departments and... and um, front offices and he said that he values right tackle and center center is a very important position okay well that's fine but just because it's important doesn't mean it's not readily available way down the draft and maybe that was different at a time maybe it was different when it was a lot more power football and you needed a big guy to play center like a, a big powerful athletic guy to play center um, but now it's, I think it's more about finding a really smart guy than it is about finding the, that guy with special traits. And I'm, I don't, I'm, I won't ever diminish the importance of a position. It's not about that. When we talk about these premium players and, and this positional value, it's not about diminishing one versus the other. It's about, it's about where you can find these guys. And how how hard it is to find them, where you can find them, and I think you know what we see is that there is just a, a clear marketplace for a lot of these different positions, and just going outside of those marketplaces is just it's not that it'll never work, but if it, if it does, it's the total outlier, and you're more lucky as opposed to actually having a high quality process, right? And we talk a lot about. Um, process in, in the NFL. We talk a lot about process versus results. You know, so I think shopping outside of these pre those these um, verified marketplaces, so to speak, for these positions is is bad process. So last thing, this hasn't changed, so I'll just spend even just a half a second on it. Average number of picks in the top ten per year of these positions. Um, this is exactly the same because we haven't had any drafts since, uh, I, I did this last week. Cause this is a conglomeration of 2011 all the way through 2021. So we have, uh, in the top 10 by far more quarterbacks than any other position. Edge comes in second. Uh, then you got tackle wide receiver, um, corner, and then it goes down from there. Uh, no center ever picked in the top 10. And then in the top 40, um, now edge is the highest, uh, followed by wide receiver, um, then interior defensive line, quarterback, then, oh, no, uh, followed by wide receiver, then corner, tackle, 
then interior defensive line and quarterback. Uh, linebacker and safety, then running back, and then so on down the list. Center still coming in last place. So it seems like mostly teams are are uh, not doing that first-round center thing. Uh, but on average, almost one per year is doing it. You know? Uh, tight end, there's really, to me, there's just no no point to go tight end in the first round. But on average, more than one per year does. Safety, linebacker, same thing. More than two per year for each of them. For linebacker, almost three per year on average go in the first round. That doesn't make any sense to me based on the data that I'm looking at here. And the last thing I will throw out there, because I do have to go to work, is where are my projected target areas? Um, I went through all of the data uh, from this, uh, that has changed over from this free agency and extension cycle in 2022 versus what had accumulated by 2021. And I looked for any reason to really change any of my projected target ranges, and I couldn't find any that that were notable. Um, no, so when you're in the first ten picks, I think you know generally you got to go quarterback if you don't have one. That's a given. Um, then you got to prioritize edge, left tackle, and then if you're pretty well set at those positions and or it's just a, a draft that the way it fell for you, you didn't have a, a really, really great prospect uh, at those two positions. So either you're set or there's just nothing that spectacularly available. Then you can look at a wide receiver who has game-breaking traits. Wide receiver who can take over a game multiple times in a year. Because you're going to be able to find production, a lot of production from wide, the wide receiver position later. Um but you're probably not going to be able to find a game-breaking wide receiver later. So that's the one kind of situational caveat that I would give to wide receiver. Outside of that, quarterback, edge, left tackle, probably don't look anywhere else. Interior defensive line, like maybe, maybe. But the chances that you're not going to be able to find a great tackle, a great edge or game-breaking wide receiver, and the only position available to you is a very high-quality interior defensive line. Just It seems unlikely, um, but I suppose you could go that route. Once you get out of the top 10 and you're still in the first round, um, you're still going prior to prioritize edge, still going to prioritize tackle, um, interior defensive line, and corner. Uh outside of the first round, but still in the top 40. It's almost exactly the same, but I think that's where you can begin your right tackle shopping. If you're one of those teams that prioritizes um, prioritizes a high-quality right tackle, and again, I think I said like we're looking at what seems to be a bit of an ideological split between priority on the right tackle versus uh, finding just an acceptable player there. So if you're one of those teams that does prioritize that, that's even if you prioritize, that's still probably where you want to just start looking for that position. Um, then, forty through sixty-four, so the remainder of the second round. Then that's when you want to resume looking for wide receivers, 
because you're going to be able to find a wide receiver who has very good a, a very good skill set um, that's maybe not as complete as other first round players, uh, but they're still going to be able to do a couple of things very well. If you find those guys that can do those couple of things very well that fit properly into your team dynamic, whether it's specifically your offense or what you're lacking, that guy's probably going to be able to produce for you if you draft well and develop well. So um, I just don't think it makes sense to look in that first round for a wide receiver outside of that top 10 because you're going to be able to get probably what will end up being similar production. Um, Again, it depends on you drafting well, and we all know that even good drafting teams miss on players. So I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that this is like the guaranteed recipe to an immediate contender. There's a lot of other variability var- variables, but I think this is gives you a guideline of how to to you know aim for the maximum efficiency within at least the variables that you can control. You know, then you can hit uh, right tackle, linebacker, guard, running back. Um, and again, that running back really depends on, are you one of those teams that prioritizes having a, a, a game changer at that position? Or would you rather spend that pick on a guard and have a very good offensive line and just have a couple of running backs that, you know, get the job done? I mean, there's no one way to do it, but I'm just saying if you're looking for that kind of top 10 player, that's where you go. If you want to wait on the guard and just sign a guy in free agency and then get a running back that might be able to change a game, then you can go there. It's just a matter of opinion. Once you get through 65 to 100, which is more or less the third round, continue looking for wide receivers who have um, one or a couple of skills that they do very, very well that fits your team and offense. Linebackers, that's where you really want to start looking for safeties. Um, because I just think that elite athleticism doesn't go the same distance for a safety that it does for other positions. You need smart guys. It's not the same. It's not It's not as easy to find a center. But same kind of idea. Heady guys who have, who diagnose plays effectively are going to probably be long-term more effective than very good athletes who don't know what they're looking at, right? And I just think that you're going to be able to find an, a sufficient athlete that has a high high football IQ if you know what you're looking for in the third round. And this, this little study, that suggests that. So what I've tried to do really with all this is, and the same with tight end, um, and then of course in free agency, right tackle, safety guard, tight end, center. Um, if, if you have enough needs and you want to go that route, um, you want to get as many players as you can, you have to use some free agency money. That's where I would target better, more, more high end players. But what, what I really try to do with this is take a lot of that colloquial knowledge that, that, oh, you can draft a running back later. Oh, you can get a center later. Oh, you can get a guard later. Oh, safety is not a premier position. Oh, but it's more important now. Oh, what I've tried to do is take a lot of those, like take a look at a lot of those um, uh, sayings or phrases or mentalities or ideologies and actually apply where you can find those guys uh, based on you know, the actual data and, and say, 
okay, yeah, you can get a running back later. But you still need to look for one in the second round if it's important to you. Yeah, you can get a safety later. In fact, you probably don't even need to worry about getting one in the second round. You know, depending on your defense, I guess, and depending on, you know, what's going on. Like, if you, if, if the, the argument is, well, we need a safety who can start immediately. We really have a hole at the position. Um, well, that's not really a reason to draft one in the first round. That's a reason to prioritize finding one in free agency. Because this suggests that you're probably going to be able to find a reasonable safety, if not even a top 10 type of safety, in free agency. And that's the guy that can start for you quickly. So, you know, drafting for need in the first round is fine as long as you're doing it within this target range, right? So, like, if you need a corner in the first round, okay, fine. Um, if you need a interior defensive line in the first round, okay, fine. Prioritize that position. If you need a linebacker, okay, wait till the second round. You know, and if you need to trade back to at least accumulate picks and and improve your overall, you know, uh, efficiency, then do that. But all right, I gotta go. I'm already running a little bit late, guys. Thank you so much for watching. If you came, if you made it all the way through this, um, I promise next week I'm gonna bring a little bit more energy. I'll drink some coffee first, and I want to do a mock draft. I'm gonna comment on what I think is gonna happen, and then kind of how how much does this reflect the the um, positional value that I've been working on here? Um, sorry, I'll pull my face away just so you can see that. Um, thanks so much, guys. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. Um, like and subscribe. It goes a long way. It really does help. Um, I'm just kind of getting back into this, so I, I totally admit that I'm a little bit rusty. It's been a while. Um, but I just find this stuff very interesting, and if, if you do too, then um, some kind of feedback, whether it's commenting, liking, subscribing, um, or even, you know, tweeting it out there for people to see, sharing it on your fan uh, message board, stuff like that, um, just to help get me out there and kind of invigorate the process. I really do appreciate that, because, you know, despite the fact that I may have been slightly... Um, uh, slightly less fully prepared than I was last week. Um, I still do put a lot of time into putting together all these numbers. So, um, uh, again, I appreciate you all and have a good night and I'll see you in a day or two leading up to the draft. I can't wait. Draft is always the best time of year, especially if you're a 